Last week, we started off by talking about the first necessary trait to be a bridge builder, and that is that we are people of humility. That we are quick to acknowledge that we don't understand, that we are quick to serve and to help and support, that that we are quick to lay aside our own selfish desires and live selfless lives. The first trait of a bridge builder is that we would live humble lives. The second trait that I want to zoom into and talk through today is one that we're not too familiar with, but it's a crucial stage of what it means to build these relational bridges. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Psalm 13. If you're watching at home, uh, open the Bible app on your phone or your computer, wherever you are, and turn to Psalm 13. Because I believe contained in these words is the second thing that we need to do and understand if we're going to be bridge builders in a divided world. You'll note at the top of this psalm, it says, a psalm of lament. A psalm of lament. And that's what I want to talk about today, this idea of lament. Lament is an old practice that we've lost. Lament is part of the bridge building process that we neglect. So what is lament? Lament is when we're in a season of grief, a season of pain, a time of loss, and we don't know what to do with that grief. And so we have to go to God before we start finding a solution. It's almost like lament puts us in a room with several doors around the room and we're struggling in that room, but none of the doors are opening to let us out to move us forward. And we just have to stay there sitting in our grief sad and grieved about everything that is going on around us. Now, all of us have experienced lament, whether we've called it lament or not. We're living in a time where there is much to lament because there is much loss and much grief and much pain that we don't know what to do with. Wednesday morning was a period of lament, so to speak, for me. The night before, my team had lost the most important game in their history, and I just woke up with this this sorrow resting on me. Maybe you've experienced the pain of lament when your team loses. You know, honestly, that was me mature. The get over it time quickens up. But sometimes when we're experiencing loss, especially when it's something valuable to us, a season of lament can last a long time. 
And we just need to sit there with the weight, with the pain, with the grief. Many of us are lamenting the COVID situation. Even today as we sit here, hot with our masks on, we long for a better day, but we don't know when that, that better day is coming. Many of us are lamenting the political situation. doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. There's a tension, a weight, a grief that just sits heavily right now. And we lament that we're not in a place where we can get along better. Many of us are lamenting the racial situation where people we love have been hurt, are victims of injustice. And while there's lots of talk about wanting to move forward, no one really knows how best to move forward. And so we sit and we lament. Lament is a crucial stage in the bridge building process. And if we skip it, we skip the ability to build the bridge securely. A few years ago, I was in a uh, room full of people when you could do that. There was about 10 of us in the room and someone there shared something uh, very grievous. Grievous, is that the right word? Grievous? Grievous. Very grievous that had happened to them. They had experienced some significant loss in their family. And a lot of that loss was because of their behavior. And so they said, look, I've made some mistakes. I don't know how to move forward. I'm, I'm lost. And as soon as this person said that, someone else in the room says, oh, don't worry about it. Get over it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. We just need to let that person sit in their grief for a little bit while longer, even though it's very painful, because if they don't sit in the grief, then they won't be able to heal correctly. It's the same when we talk about building bridges. Before we start to build these bridges, we have to sit in the pain of grief and lament a little bit. So how do we do that? That's what the psalmist is talking about here in Psalm 13. It's written by David. David's under captivity in this moment. He's lost a lot of land. His enemy is close at hand. And about this time, King David says, there is only but a step between me and death. He's saying, I'm so close to the end. I'm in this grief. I'm in this loss. And I just don't know a way out. And so this psalm of lament is written when David doesn't know a way out. And so I want to share it with you today because there are moments in our life Maybe you're going through one right now. There are certainly some in our world where we don't know a way out and we just need to sit in the grief despite it being incredibly painful so that grief can teach us the lessons that we need to learn to move forward. 
So what does this poem teach us about grief and lament that we need to understand before we move forward? This is what David says, Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me? The first thing that I see happening here, and I think it's fascinating, and I think we would probably solve about 80% of our problems if we did this first. Rather than complain about his enemy, rather than complain to his army, rather than to sit in his frustration, he chooses to take his complaints to God. He chooses to take his complaints to God. He turns to God with his frustration. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm frustrated... When I'm wanting to and needing to lament, I will choose to complain to anybody but God. Maybe I'll moan at Tracy. Maybe I'll get frustrated with the kids. Maybe I'll take it out on myself. But the first thing David teaches us in moments of lament is to take our complaint to take our pain to God first. If we did that, it would radically change the way we go about our lives. It would help us move through the grief and the pain so much quicker. First of all, we must turn to God with our complaint. And man, as he goes to God, he sure is complaining about a lot of stuff. He says, how long? I'm sure you've said that over the last few months with the COVID. How long do we have to stay home? How long before we get back to normal? I I know many of our, our black brothers and sisters have said, how long does the injustice have to go on? How long till we see the change that needs to happen? How long? When we say that phrase, how long, we turn it over to God. We bring him our feelings and we bring him our thoughts. I said it the other week and I'll say it again. God doesn't mind us being frustrated. He wants us to take our anger to him. He wants us to be honest and bring us our, bring him our, our questions and our fears. How long? The book of Job almost exclusively is about this man, Job, who's lamenting. And all day long, he's bringing his frustration, his concerns, his questions to God. It's not wrong to question God when we're frustrated. You know why? Because Jesus did it. Just before Jesus went to the cross, right? He's in the garden. He knows what's happening. He's wrestling with pain and grief. And he says, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't want it. It's too hard. 
And he takes his complaint, he takes his frustration to God. When we're in a place of lament, when we don't know what's next, when we don't like what's happening, the first thing that lament invites us to do is to turn to God with our complaint. Listen to some of the things that he's complaining about. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? He feels like God's forgotten about him. Ever feel like that? It's almost like uh, he feels like he's playing this game of, of hide and seek with God. But God's just not finding him. Maybe some of you remember that feeling from playing that little game. You had a really, really good place to hide. And minutes and maybe hours went by and you thought, man, maybe he's given up on me. He's frustrated with this, this spiritual frustration that maybe God has abandoned him. And he says, how long, Lord, before you show up again? Some of us have been saying that. How long, oh Lord, will you hide your face from me? This is a very personal request. Lord, this is my hour of need and you're not here. Lord, I think I've done everything right, but, but where are you? Lord, my enemy Saul, he's doing everything wrong, but he seems to be prospering. Where are you, Lord? Verse 2, how long will I store up anxious concerns? He's talking here about our emotional state, right? The things that worry us. The anxiety that sits with us. The, the fear that always seems to be churning over in the back of our, our head. How long? How long? How long will my enemy dominate me? How long are these circumstances going to uh, rage against me? How long before I can get out of them? How long before I can fix that relationship? How long before I can get out of this job? How long before I pay off this debt? He's got a long list of how longs. But what he does with that list, when he can't do anything else with it, is turn to God and bring it to God. I want to encourage you today that in those moments of grief, when nothing seems to be working, when there seems to be no way out, when the frustrations are high, the anxieties are high, and the questions are many, turn to God with them. Lament gives us this opportunity to turn to God with our frustrations. But there's something else we need to know when we say how long. And David talks about this in another psalm, a few psalms later, Psalm 31. He makes this statement. He says, God, my times are in your hands. Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hands. Here's the deal. It's okay to God and say, God, how long? How long am I going to have to put up with this stuff? 
How long is my enemy going to attack? How long are my anxious thoughts going to be here? How long do we have to play this hide and seek game where I just can't see you? It's okay to say how long, but we must also be able to say and to pray, God, my time is in your hands. My time is in your hands. You keep me here as long as you need me to, so I can learn what I got to learn. You keep me here just as long as you need me to. You remember when the pandemic started and we were told, hey, two weeks, we'll be back to normal? (laughs) My prayer during that time was, Lord, if two weeks is it, that's great. But as I saw all kinds of things in our society slowing down and stopping, as I saw some of the positive things that are going to come out of this starting to emerge, my prayer became, our time is in your hands. Lord, it'd be great to be out of here in two weeks, but if it takes a little bit longer for you to show us what we need to see and to teach us what we need to learn, then let it be longer. Because ultimately you're in charge, you're in control, we're trusting you. The first thing that lament teaches us is to turn our complaint over to God. Share your complaint with your spouse a little bit, share it with your friends some more, share it with who you need to, but first, go to God with your complaint Because when there seems to be no way, he's the one that can make a way. Verse 3, a second thing that we need to do in these seasons and times of lament is we don't just need to moan and complain to God. We need to pray to God and ask God boldly for hope. We need to ask boldly for hope. This is what he says. And remember, he's in a real dark place. He's feeling trapped when he prays this. Consider me an answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him. And my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. We can't stay too long in the frustration, in the grief, in the questions. If we do, one of two things will happen. First of all, we'll move towards despair, where we start to lose hope. Secondly, or we could move towards denial and pretend that everything is fine. Neither despair or denial are helpful responses. The helpful response is to ask God. Listen to some of the words he uses here. God, would you, would you consider me? So it's almost like he's, he's raising his hand to get the teacher's attention. Hey, hey, I'm, I'm here. I, I need help. Would you help me? 
He, he prays, God, would you restore brightness to my eyes? He says, it's so dark here, I cannot see clearly, but would you restore brightness to my eyes? He says, my enemy, who's also your enemy, is having a field day. He's starting to make me shaken, and God, if I shake, then... And my people are going to shake too. If I waver, if I tremble, then they will too. God, I, I need your help to intervene. I need to ask for your help. I don't know what your tendency is when you get frustrated and when you're feeling grief, whether it's to move towards despair or denial but David says in moments of lament, there is a better way, and it's the way of asking God. We turn our complaints over to God. But as we do that, we ask God to intervene. God, would you help? Would you show me your way? Would you do what only you can do? Would you do what I can't do? God, I need you to intervene. You know, this book is full of so many promises about what God will do and how he will respond when we simply ask. He says, call to me and I will answer you. Seek me and you will find me. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. God wants to answer our asks and he will, but so often we just don't ask, right? And so seasons of lament are a time for us to ask God to intervene. In lament, we complain to God. In lament, we ask of God in prayer to make a difference. And then he continues, verse 5. Despite feeling trapped, despite feeling alone, despite the enemy all around, despite not being able to find a way, verse 5, but... I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. We must enter these seasons of lament if we're going to be bridge builders. We trust God with our complaints. We ask boldly for help, but then we must choose to trust God. We've got to feel the, the depths, the pain, the struggle. We've got to embrace that pain so that when God does do what God do, we can realize how good God is. We have to choose to trust him. This but word right here in verse 5 is so significant because this but is the answer to the questions. 
And what's interesting here is that as things start to change, the but in Scripture isn't about providing answers. It's actually about pointing him to something better than answers. It's about pointing us to promises. He talks about God's faithful love. He's experienced it. He's struggling, but he knows there's love ahead. He's talking about joy. He's not feeling it right now, but the promise is it's ahead. He's talking about deliverance and being free. And he's not experiencing it yet, but he knows it's ahead. Why? Because God has promised it. I think one of the beautiful things we need to understand in lament is that in lament, as we turn our questions over to God, as we pray to God, we don't pray to discover answers. We pray to be reminded of God's promises. You know, I've not given up, that's the wrong word, but I've changed my thinking. When I go to God with questions that I do on a frequent basis, I don't so much look for answers now in the same way that we would look for answers if we questioned each other. I want to apply the promises of God to my questions. The promises of God may be a little longer. They'll take a little bit longer maybe to get here. But I would rather have a promise from God to hold on to than a cheap answer from someone else. There's this great um, insight in John 14. And Jesus' cousin, Lazarus, has died. And the two sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, are in this state of lament, this season of grief. The brother has died. And so Jesus shows up, and they start to question him. Lord, if you'd have been here, it wouldn't have been like that. Lord, if only this had happened, we wouldn't have to feel this pain. And hidden in these questions is this accusation that says, Jesus, why weren't you there? God, why weren't you helping me? And to their questions, Jesus doesn't give answers. He gives promises. He says in that instance, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So often, Jesus doesn't answer our questions with answers. He responds to our questions with promises. And there is nothing like a season of lament to help us to hold on to the promises of God. And so I remind you now, as our country and our world is grieving, 
that God has a promise for that. God has a promise that if we confess our sins and turn back to him, he will heal us. God has a promise that one day righteousness will be restored and injustice will be stamped on and justice will be established. God offers a promise that he's ultimately in control, that he's in charge, that he's working things out for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's the deal. If we are going to be bridge builders, which we are called to do, not only must we first humble ourselves, but secondly, we must spend some time Lamenting, grieving about the way things are. There is no pill, there is no prescription to get out of grief. We must let pain sit with us for a while. So that as we move through it, we are in a better, stronger place to build. What? does lament look like for me and you? First of all, it means we turn to God first with our complaints. Secondly, it means that we ask boldly for help. Thirdly, it means that we choose to trust the promises of God. There is much chaos. There is much pain. We all want a quick fix, but there's not one. So in this period of waiting, as we prepare to build, let us choose to take our complaint to God. Let us ask boldly for his help. And let us choose to trust in his promises.